Okay. I'll be reading the scripture. Um, it's Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, and 17 through 20. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Genesis 18, nine through 15. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, so Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Amen. Good morning again. Like I said, I had some kind of sinus thing, been fighting it all week. So please be patient with me as I balance this cough drop in my mouth. If it drops out while I preach, just ignore it like it never happened, okay? I will. As we continue in our sermon series through Hebrews, in chapter 11 of the Hall of Faith, I want to take a sidestep within this chapter. Look at two characters mentioned, Sarah and Isaac. I say sidestep because Though the passage reads like Sarah is in the hall of faith for her faith, a closer look at the thematic structure of this chapter suggests otherwise. Almost every commentary I looked at agreed that Sarah and then Isaac's life were but a subpoint to Abraham's example of faith. That's exactly what I want us to consider here. What kind of faith is the faith of those who are not the main subjects of the promise? Like Abraham and Noah, but simply subjected to the promise. I'm talking about what it means to have your story be a subset of a bigger story, and in some cases, woven into the fabric of someone else's story to be in the subjected and, and supporting role of what God is doing in this world. I would argue it is central to what it means to be a believer living by faith. That the gospel story is not just about you and your issues and for you personally. And that is hard for us to hear. Because we are self-centered, very existential, often hurt by community and isolated by overworking and technology kind of people. We are always trying to be, as the world would suggest, is a good thing, be our own person, our own self-made person. To be able to write a novel about ourselves that is great and awesome. 
And we don't want to be defined or confined or, or limited or used by anyone else's story. Before Justin Bieber called out the vanity of a love that did him wrong by saying, because if you like the way you look that much, oh, baby, you should go and love yourself. And if you think that I'm still holding on to something, you should go and love yourself. Before he did that song, just so you know, Carly Simon, in the year of my birth, 1972, came out with a song that's been remixed and redone, You're So Vain. You probably think this song is about you. You're so vain. I'll bet you think this song is about you, don't you? Don't you? Let's face it. We are bound and trapped oftentimes in self-love and selfishness and self-definition. Why? Because we can't always see the good news and are being subject to and a cog in the wheel of anyone else's story but our own. But I'm here to show you in these stories, faith, the good news, that by faith, you don't have to just love yourself or worry about yourself. Your limitations, your great vision for your destiny or whatever. Because good news, this is about a story and faith bigger than you. Three things we can learn from the lives of Sarah and, J and, Sarah and Isaac. Sorry, he skipped somebody down the line. First, your life is not your own. Secondly, your life is in God's hands. And finally, your faith is not from your faithfulness. The story of Sarah, contrary to popular belief and how many books have been written about her, when we see it retold in Hebrews, her story is not primarily about a woman struggling with being barren. Even though that happens, and it's sad, and it's important. But it's about a promise that's been made to Abraham for God's glory that can't happen because a poor old woman is struggling with old age and barrenness and unbelief. This is not primarily about Sarah's stifled plans to have children. Her story is really about God's plans and needing God's plans and needing a God-sized miracle to happen. Even the story of Isaac is not primarily about the emotional strain of a father. A father must feel as he is ordered by God to kill his only son. Though it is clear from the Bible what the Bible says, that Abraham went up to that mountain with emotions that said, I love my son. But the headline story is that God's promise will be lost if Isaac dies. The real question is whether and how God is going to come through on his promise if Isaac is killed by Abraham. And my goal in turning these stories of Sarah and Isaac, this direction is not to be harsh or unfeeling or cynical, 
but so that you can see and discover that you and your everyday circumstances and hard times are not about a closed-off, unrelated event. They're connected to and a part of God's plans. Your plan, successful or failure, if you are in Christ as people of the promise, are part of God's bigger plan. I am among the most nervous and dramatic out there. And I'll fall apart over a hangnail sometimes. Or write off my life and my future and my relationship with God over how I feel about one isolated or singular or group of happenings in my life. And they are so small. I can, they're so small rather, I can metaphorically pick them up in my mind and heart and make that my story and make it about my plans only going wrong or my faith or Christianity or God being a fraud or it being about me not having enough faith and condemning myself over those things. Yes, there is real pain and real drama and real disappointment and real suffering going on in these stories and even yours. I mean, Sarah laughs because she's overcome by that weird feeling between the pleasure of having kids she talks about in verse 12 and knowing it can't happen because she is old. And that is true. And it is true that Abraham, the Bible says, loved Isaac. And Isaac probably loved his dad. But good news, that is not all to you in your story because God is calling people away from a small faith to a bigger faith in, as you care for his plan and as part of his and get this, God feeds our desires. Yes, he does. Sarah wants a kid. Isaac wants to stay alive. Abraham wants a son. He feeds our desires from the bigger plan. Like he does Sarah's mispleasure in being a mother in a loving relationship between Abraham and Isaac. God's not overlooking our plans and hopes for comfort and love and pleasure and things or to get from un out under some sad thing. But you and I must submit our faith and plans to something bigger going on that will feed either our disappointment with comfort or make good to straight up feed our plans and desires. You know the best place to be? Now, this old school, y'all. Some of y'all, y'all ain't ready for this. <laughs> ain't all that. The best place at an old school picnic or cookout is mama's plate. Hmm? Y'all know why? Because back in the day, the cookout food for adult, adults was different than for the children. Oh, y'all don't know that because y'all try idolaters now. <laughs> Mama, I want, the, I want the filet mignon. <laughs> okay. You can have mine. It didn't work like that for me, y'all. Children were a part of the adults' plans to get together. Ask my sons about when we meet with people for lunch or dinner, some of y'all. They have to wait sometimes. But back to the old days. Kids didn't get the ribs, right? Y'all don't know about that. Because y'all, they got the ribs on the kids' menu these days. I never heard of nothing like that. They got steak on the kids' menu. We didn't get the ribs. And guess what? Sometimes we didn't even get the chicken. <laughs> 
Kids got hot dogs and hamburgers. And you were afraid to ask mama for some of it. He, you know, here you don't ask for the grown food. You don't grow near the grown food. They didn't have kids back then putting their fork and their nasty hands grabbing their own stuff. It didn't work like that back then. And boy, don't ask for it. Woo, if you ask for something that it's only for the adults in front of the other adults, for your, woo, you get that look, and you're going to get it later. <laughs> you don't let your children come and take the best because the other person. But God is like daddy, seeking to feed your desires, but only from his plate. But it is a big, about his big plate at the big table and grill and big plan first and foremost. And about his freedom and love and grace to feed you out of his big plan. Because he loves you. Oftentimes, you know, you get some ribs, but you got to get off mama's plate. She gave. Sometimes. Sometimes she ate right there in front of you, knowing you wanted it. And she'll say, sometimes you got to learn you can't have everything you want. Ooh, that's a real abusive lesson. Oprah said that wasn't good. Dr. Phil said that was bad. Mm -mm. They don't know nothing. They're just making money off y'all watching them shows. But if you and I belong to God's plan and our lives are part of God's plan, then it automatically means that we belong not only to God's plan, but here's something hard of y'all, but to God's people. It is clear that Sarah's barrenness and, and Isaac's sacrifice was about building Abraham's faith. Oh, look how it all falls out. The Bible loves the word uh, submission and obedience. And it doesn't always use the words for our personal relationships with God, but our broader relationships with each other. Abraham's faith is wrapped up in trusting that God's going to get Sarah a child, right? Abraham's faith is tested and wrapped up in whether he's going to actually go through putting Isaac on the thing and killing him. You have the faith of other people, right? Their fulfillment in Jesus in some way woven into your story that you may call, that, that may call you and me to submit and die to ourselves and possibly serve and lay down and lay out and even live out our broken lives for them. To like Sarah and Isaac, maybe in a situation that will make us feel insecure about our abilities to actually supply the person we're responsible to what they need. We don't serve because we feel empty and insecure. And we laugh at God sometimes, right? About ourselves, we are so sick or so needy or so messed up. We are a joke not only to the plan of God, but definitely to the people of God whom God has put in our lives to depend on us in some way. We don't serve because we don't want to die. We don't want our life and lifestyle to be taken away. We're like Isaac. We don't want this. You can't serve 
because your house isn't big or nice enough to have people over. We have too many children and they wild. I don't have a child or a husband. They don't need or want me. And all of those are real and hurtful. And, and I agree, they're real feelings and real emotions generated by real stuff that happens, but they are very selfish and self-protective and self-insecure reasons for not stepping out and up to be faith available. Faithfully available. Why midweek in community groups? Not helping me. Too hard for us. This is about encouraging someone else, not for you to get what you want. Could you imagine that's what things at church are about? It isn't about you trying to get your needs met. But maybe you need to go so somebody else can get their needs met. But it's going to cost you an afternoon. It's going to cost you the first quarter of the game. Trust me, that's hard for me. Don't have nothing on Saturdays, please. In the fall. Because it's not for you to get what you want, but possibly for them to get what they want out of you and your sacrifice and your fears and your burdens in some way. To be in what you may see as a pressure and scary and exposing of your weakness relationship. Man, I remember when I first started at the church in Baltimore, we had a lot of old people. When I got there, Batter up, three funerals. First month, three. I didn't know nobody. And then soon after that, a visit to the hospice of somebody who wasn't even a member in our church. And, and I told y'all guys this story before, and I'm walking down the hall, you know, and I got a master divinity degree strut. And Kelly was like, Howard, you, you about to see somebody dying. They, they ain't going to live. I'm like, I know. And I got in that room, and I was like, oh, my Lord. And be here. I didn't realize I was going to face not their death, but a sh- the feeling of my inadequacy. I didn't realize that going up in there was going to mean it was going to bring out all kinds of fears and sadnesses, sadness that I had inside. I, I, and, and even worse, I remember uh, we had a lady in our church, 32 years old, suffering from breast cancer, and she was dying. And she was in John Hopkins. Uh, cancer center. And trust me, when they move you from hospital to hospital, you end up in the John Hopkins Cancer Center, that's the last greatest hope on earth. They got the best one there. And I went in the room and about seven or eight doctors in there. I didn't want to go. They got the best doctors in the world. God, how could you call me to this? 32 years old, just had a, got a three-year-old, got a young husband, and now she's gone and passed away. Lord, what, what you got me here for? If I pray, it may not work. And I walk in the room, and the dad says, yippee, the pastor's here. Dr. Jacques could leave. Come on in, pastor. We've been waiting on you. Hospital situations like that. I only want to go when baby's born. For you, it might not be so dramatic. It's being a parent and sitting home bored all day with your kid. With a degree on the wall, possibly. 
or being a husband every day. Having a, to be a mom every minute or being a caregiver in some way of a sick spouse or parent or kid, or being a sick spouse or kid who can't be all they should be, or, or coming home, or, or, or being single and being with and serving and loving and being in a community with a lot of kids. Not only that, but, but being single and serving uh, with and for your married couple friends and feeling like you're watching your own dreams like a mirror of your loneliness and barrenness. It might mean watching other people's kids and bringing meals to moms who just had children when you can't or don't have any. And it might mean going to the men's retreat where you know they're going to be playing ball and talking about sports and TV and you don't do any of those things. And the scenarios where your faith walk is about walking and carrying someone else that makes you see and show your weakness is part of what it means to be a believer. You go and be and belong to someone else's and someone else's story in a way that reveals your own brokenness. That's living faith. That's bigger than you. But I know. You just can't, right? It's too discouraging and it's too hard. Like Sarah, you laugh. Like Isaac, you ask the obvious question. Where's the lamb, Dad? Look at what the promise of ch about children says here in Hebrews. I haven't read a lot of scripture yet, but I, I want to. And, and then look, look at what the messenger of God says in, in verse 9 of chapter uh, 18. So let's look at the Hebrews passage and what it says about Sarah. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And look at the passage in chapter 18 and verse 9. They said to Abraham, where is, your Sarah? where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah are old, advancing years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to him, why does Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. This is about her life being guided by God. That God was in control over what Sarah was going to be and what part she was going to play. Let me be careful here because I want to affirm the sexism and bigotry and domestic violence is real and it's a sin. But we cannot, according to the way the story is told, blame Abraham for putting all this pressure on Sarah to be the mother of the promise. It was not the society of the day that ultimately put her in such a subjected role and the same for Isaac, right? I don't want it to sound like child labor laws and traffic and stuff and child abuse ought to be overlooked or excused. I got to cover all my bases with y'all. That it is not an overbearing father or society's lack of child protection that put Isaac where he was in the subjective role of the story of Abraham's faith. Sarah or Isaac were put in their link, in their place, in the promised food chain or grace chain by God himself that called and guided them to be in these impossible and belonging to God's plan and people situations. He called Sarah to be the wife of Abraham almost 100 years before this. 
and allowed her name be the name of the promise, name of the promise as a barren woman. And thus the Lord himself chose Isaac, even though he had a half-brother before him. It was on Isaac because God said so. Not biology or man's sins or plans, but by God's guiding, we call that sovereign and providential. I can show you then that you don't need to worry about how and where you might fit in or why you're here. The Lord has been guiding you and over you and in charge of your life. Not sin. Not if you're a person of the promise in Christ. Not sin. Not Satan. Not mama. Not daddy. Not having a daddy. And not, ha or not having a mom. Not because you're ghetto. Ain't got nothing. Nothing to do with your background. Not your lack of education resources. Not your successes. But God put you by his own hand into this relational place and position for such a time as this. The Lord is guiding you. It's brought and put you where you are, and you can only have that kind of resting confidence for your situation. Mother, or person providing for your family in lieu of your dreams, possibly trying to help your kids to a better life, or your spouse to have to have what they need, or that situation where you're in a dead-end job and not making a lot of money out there. Our teachers, right? Shout out to y'all. You can only get up and go to work and wake up again to be to a subjected servant life with comfort and hope if you know that it is by God's hand alone. But being the subject to the subject to the plan of God and to the people of God by the hand of God brings up the same questions and concerns for most of us in here. We are all concerned when God and people are depending on us and leaning on us pulling from us and calling us whether we are or have enough to do what we are subjected to or serving in. We're concerned we'll be destroyed, lost, used, sacrificed. I think Sarah and Isaac must have felt and expressed the same kind of concern, being people wrapped up and wove it into this very complicated plan of God. I look back at this story, and I was a little mad. Why did God do this? Why did he have this old woman who couldn't have kids anymore and probably every year prayed this was my breakthrough and didn't have it? And then why did he take a kid and then have him be bound to the altar? Why, Lord? Look at the Genesis passage about Sarah again. The Bible says Sarah laughed when she was told about her place in the big plan of God and how she would serve as the carrier for husband's seed of the promise in a way that she had failed to do in the past. She laughed. She is, here's a word for us, cynical about the plans and demands of God put on her life as the wife of big promise daddy Abraham. She's afraid of failure. And exposure to guilt and all kinds of stuff and her call to be a wife and mother and God's plan and for God's people. Then fast forward to Isaac's situation. So he, in obedience to his father Abraham, believing he is loved and wanted, goes up to the mountain, y'all, and asks the following question, and it makes sense in verse 7. He says this, Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, <laughs> wait a minute, yo, something missing here. Almost like we left it, you know? Dad, turn around. You know how many times I've driven? Dad, I left my book bag. I got to go back as I'm taking the boys to school. 
So Isaac gets there and realizes he's carrying all his wood on his back, right? Maybe he didn't have good peripheral vision. He thought daddy had the the ram, but daddy had the knife and the fire, right? My father, he said, here I am, son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Then Abraham gives him this hope in verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. No! No! I'm looking around. I'm the smallest one here. I know I'm next. You got the knife. You got the fire. I got the wood on my back. I know how this thing goes. Oh, I tripped and lit you up. No, man, I'm not going for this, Dad. Isaac, just a kid, y'all, submitted, subjected to and into a faith bigger than he is in the plan of God as a servant of God's promise as a kid. Goes up there in obedience to have it look like it is him, that God is going to take his life, that God did all of this and brought him to this point to just crush him and burn him, right? Let me let you know, when God calls you as part of his plan as a wife, a husband, a teacher in North Carolina public schools, or a teacher anyway for that matter, an officer in the church, a mother working and stay, working or stay at home, nonprofit workers in this place of all sorts, dads and single moms are single, uh, again, serving others in the world and church alone in this plan, and for the people that God has called you, it will feel like God is calling you to something, to be something, and to serve people that don't have what it takes to serve, that you will make, that, that will make you feel like a failure before you've started. Because you've already tried serving in the past, and it failed. You've already tried being submissive and loving, serving. When it came down to it, just like you were up there and out there alone in your service, alone carrying it looks and it feels like death, y'all. When I talked about the roots, the fruits... In my mind, I see y'all. I know some of y'all. Man, this place is filled with people who used to be in ministry, in college, mission trips, nonprofit organizations. Y'all were gun-ho about the gospel. You were going to save the world, right? You were all about justice and mercy in the gospel, and you went out your hay. burned. Know what I'm talking about? Who have felt the burn and burnout of doing what God calls you to do in ways to serve others before you? You know that feeling like Isaac of the potential burn and burnout when you will be the sacrificial, insufficient sacrificial offering, that is, to make life happen for other people. It just gets old. That same cycle of service and love and commitment that, like Sarah, often seems to come up empty. And so we laugh at God and stuff like, God has a plan for your life, and God has a plan through you to make a difference. And come on, guys, we're going to go from root the fruits. So many of you old school, inner city working kind of folks, and you have become dead, running scared from any sort of sacrifice, because you ain't going to lose your life to get burned this time. Some of you have given up loving and taking emotional risks with your spouse. Some of us have given up trying to talk to our teens and middle schoolers 
that room hard, y'all. Cast by the room. See your kids in there. You're like, oh, Lord. I'm the spiritual leader of my house. I don't know if I can handle this teenager today. Right? You've been in there and the conversation just didn't go right. So we leave them. Too scared to go in there. Just let the TV and technology have them. And we're too scared to go in there and say, what's up? Tired of that neighbor, a needy person, a friend. Some of you have given up serving the Lord in church or ministry. You are guarded like Isaac. You won't let no one take you all the way. Uh-uh. Not all the way up that hill. Your phone cuts off at 5. Your house closes in at 6. And your TV show schedule starts at 8. And you will not go all the way and open your life up all the way to the top. Because at, like Isaac on the altar moment, it may be coming for you. And that would be true if that were all to the story. Look at our Hebrews passage again. Verse, verse, verse um, 11. By faith, Sarah herself, y'all hear this? Received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him who, who's faithful, considered him faithful who had promised. And then we know in the passage in 18, I'm not going to read it again, that this prophecy comes from one of the visitors. And then look at the Isaac passage. I haven't read much of that. It says in verse 9, When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy and do anything for it to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have withheld your son, your own, not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Do you see what makes a difference here? Not the faith or strength of Sarah and Isaac to serve the promise or plan or people of God, though God used them that way. This faith to his plan and to his people was all about God's faithfulness to them and his plan and his people, of which they were too, that made the difference. It was God stopping and supplying everything necessary to make his plan and people happen. The God who made and called you and me to be submissive and service-oriented and being dependent on in so many responsible ways will be the God in your life who has and does what it takes to be faithful to that promise. The Bible says in Hebrews that because of what God did in prophesying, that messenger that came to, uh, came to Sarah that day was a pre-incarnate Christ, like he did at creation. He called Sarah's womb to produce and gave her and made her in turn have what? Faith that she didn't have before. And Hebrews says Isaac names his sons to a future promise. Look, y'all. The fact that they say Isaac named his sons and, and blessed them with the blessing and the future promise, that's a big deal. Isaac should have PTSD. Shouldn't he? Whenever the promise comes up, he should twitch. Anytime Yahweh's name comes up, Brother should run. He needed counseling. He needs a psychiatrist because he needs some medicine. Because every time Abraham, or he sees a knife, or he sees a fire, or he sees an altar, brother should freeze up. 
He should hate the church and hate God and have a serious case of PK rebellion. Not preacher's kid, in this case, promise kid. But he ends up passing not just a blessing on the Jacob, but the faith too. Only because God broke it and stopped him from being killed, he stopped Isaac's death. But more importantly than that, he stopped the death of Isaac's faith. Because he, God, was faithful. Will we burn out or get burned out or get hard and cynical and avoid serving and loving each other and get all prickly about our time and life and survival of our life and way of life? More times than not, it's because somehow we are expecting to be and have everything God needs to do what he wants. And the faith and plan of God is too big for you to be that important to it in that way. All those people and plans that God has put in your life are his responsibility. And he will provide the power and strength to do it. And if it seems to fail, remember, God does not fail us or falter to be faithful. He just fails to be faithful in ways that we have called him to make us comfortable and confident in ourselves. This call to a faith bigger than us is a call to have confidence in a God that is bigger and better and more loving than you are. You, you know what serving in the plan of people of God does to us ultimately? It makes our lives and the lives of those depending on us beg for and need a Savior because you can't be and you aren't the Savior. And for some of you, that's a big surprise. You're trying to save other people's lives. I want to serve in this ministry because you feel like you got it. You feel like you have what it takes to, 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 to overcome their issues. And you even believe you have what it takes to overcome your own issues. The messenger that came to see Sarah and Isaac, remember? that Sarah was a pre-born to marry on Christmas Jesus. And the ram in the bush that God provided in place of Isaac foreshadowed the coming and here this sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. Hear me. Isaac and Sarah could never and were never expected to serve well enough to counter the sin and brokenness in their situation and world to bring the power and grace necessary to do all God wanted. You and everyone dependent on you don't need you ultimately. They need your cry and need and prayers and dependence on a Savior you will feel as you serve them. Huh. So I put myself in a position to serve the plans of God that are bigger than me and people of God who have issues bigger than I can supply for. And in some way that breaks me and in the breaking of my life as I cry out to God, they get exactly what they need because when you cry out to God, the Savior shows up. You move out the way, Christ comes in. 
half of the cynicism burnt out in this world from mothers and teachers and servants and volunteers is that somehow it got twisted that they or you were going to be the Savior when all along the best thing their lives could have shown all those around them was that they too needed a Savior to serve in a faith bigger than them. And our call to serve, to carry the plan and people and promise of God in so many ways, Praise God that Jesus is our carrier. We live and rest and find comfort for our call in his faithfulness and a faith bigger than us. I'm going to go old school, close out. Super corny contemporary Christian music on y'all. All the way back to 1984 when the Christian stuff started. I think I might have even had this album. Album, record, right? Or cassette tape by Billy Crockett. Y'all don't know Billy Crockett? Come on, man. He was one of the great stars of the Christian contemporary movement. He had a song, 80s, 1980s Christian contemporary song called Love Carrier. Y'all remember that? I love that song says this, it's all right, it's all right, carrier, carrier, if you need a carrier, it's all right, Jesus is the carrier, it's all right, living love, giving love, love carrier, okay, gets corny, okay, ready, got a fistful of fear, and you can't let it go. And your heart says jump, but you just don't know. So you still play the game, but you're tired of the show. You got to make a move. Don't you need a carrier? He's got a heart full of love, and you can't stop his flow. He's got a dream for the world that he wants you to know. Take a chance on his love when your heart says go. We all need a carrier. Jesus is our carrier. For those of you carrying everything, it sure feels like it right now for some of you. And everybody, it seems loaded down with the expectations and loaded with serving inside God's plan and for God's people. You have a carrier in Jesus. And as your life is broken, you carry Jesus to those you serve in this faith that's bigger than you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so many of us have disconnected from community because it ain't about us. It's about you and your bigger plan. It's about you and your people. Lord, I pray for those who are sick, who are very busy, who don't have a lot of time. Lord, I pray for our mothers and our fathers and people who got little kids depending on them or children depending on them, Lord, or, or those who are married and have a spouse depending on them in some way to be obedient to you for their good. <laughs> 
when it ain't always good. Pray for those who aren't married and without children. Lord, it is so difficult sometimes to feel like a second-class citizen in churches that seem to glorify marriage and married couples and children all over the place. Lord, we're yet called to serve with all that up in our face like Sarah was called to, to be the mother of many nations with all that up in her face. Lord, somehow do a miracle that calls your people to find their place and even have faith in the place by your grace in your bigger plan with a bigger faith than them. Help us, Lord, today, because some of us are burned out. We let ourselves become the savior of what we thought was your plan, and now we're burned out. Bring comfort and peace and healing in their lives, Lord, I pray. Open up our tents, Lord. Find us in there laughing, cynical, and turn our stories into Sarah's. For she names her child after laughter. Because you've turned her cynical laughter into faithful laughter. Do that for us, we pray, for the tired, worn out. In Jesus' name, amen.